This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're down at 2GB today. There's a bit going on here today, but we might get that a little bit later. This is a special podcast called Roughly the Power and Influence of Radio. We sort of wanted to do this preceding the um, the forthcoming New South Wales state election and the impending federal election, which uh, ain't far away for, for everybody. Um, it's a good time to be talking radio too. We've had lots of data recently talking about audiences are up. The uh, data from Commercial Radio Australia says it's been a 12 percent uh bump in audience over the past five years, 22% up over the past decade. Comes at a time when there's sort of lots of disruption in the media space. We talk about here uh, it here on Media Week a lot of the time, especially on our podcasts. Radio revenue too is really strong. Uh, 2018 was up three, nearly 4% year on year. Around about $800 million a year is spent on commercial radio. Now to talk about all these things, we've got an all-star panel. Um, Brian Gallagher is the money man at uh, Southern Cross Osterio, otherwise known as the Chief Sales Officer. Booking a lot of airtime on radio and maybe... Not quite enough. We'll soon find out. Endorse that comment. (laughs) Philippa Noiliatani. Welcome, Philippa. Now, you're the trading director at Wavemaker in Sydney, one of the uh, big agencies. And look, Ben Fordham is here too. I say the best to last, Benny. Uh, Welcome. Now, that's only because you're in the 2GB (laughs) studios, you've got to say that. James, (laughs) Philippa, Brian, good afternoon. Thank How come people advertise? Us. How come people advertise on Southern Cross Osteria, Brian, when they could be advertising on Two GB? It just doesn't make sense. I think both of them advertise on both, Ben. <laughs> if they're smart, I'm just throwing an early grenade anyway. <laughs> Play nicely, guys. Consider that smothered. <laughs> now we're in uh, Ben's studio here at Two uh, GB. Few technical um, issues possibly today. We've we've come on an interesting today. They're introducing some new systems. And off the top, I should also ask you, Ben. There's a lot in the newspaper about two GB this week. Is it? Uh, am I sort of dangerous asking if you've got any news for us on any oh, well, contract negotiations or? No, not mine. You, you you won't be setting your alarm clock early in the future. Anything not going mine. On there? No, no, no. I'm I'm guessing you're talking about some of the speculations that's been around about our breakfast host Alan Jones. But no, uh, it may surprise you, James, that I'm not privy to any those negotiations <laughs> i'd love to i'd love to be sitting in the room in fact i reckon i could sell tickets you'd pay a lot of money i know james as uh, a uh, as a media magnet to absolutely. be sitting in there as a absolutely. fly on the wall but no i'm i'm not involved in any of those things even though i'd love to be a fly on the wall yeah i've got a feeling it, it, it might be a while before we find out uh, what's happening there now ben you sort of famously stepped back from tv probably a couple of years ago now and sort of thought you know radio is my thing I wanted to focus on that. Just just give us a quick recap on why you did that. Oh, well, look, radio's always been my thing. I started in, in radio when I was 15, working for Alan Jones, funnily enough, as a, as a work experience kid on Alan's show. So it's actually always been in in my blood, and TV was something that came along along the way, and it will always be there, hopefully, in some way, shape or form. But my base is radio. I love radio. I get the most enjoyment out of it. I find it to be the most rewarding thing that I do outside of other things, you know, personal life and family life, and it just fits in. I mean, I'm, I, I had breakfast with my wife and children this morning. I had lunch with my wife and daughter at lunchtime today, and now I'm in here doing the radio show in the afternoon, so I can actually operate a lot of the stuff from home for the first half of the day. You can't do that in TV. In TV, you need to be in there. You've got to be in the studio. You've got to be in front of the camera. You've got to have a suit on. You've got to have the makeup on. 
And so, look, I, I don't mind doing that stuff, and I hope I get to do it for a long time to come. But radio is just a dream. I mean, you just can't go past it, and, I, and that's why it's my, my main gig. Are you still on standby at nine? If um, yeah, yeah, I'm still if, doing. In if fact, anybody I, doesn't show, you'll get a call. Yeah, I still on... do. I think I've got. I've, someone just sent me some dates the other day for fill-ins coming up. I've traditionally filled in for Carl Stefanovic on the Today Show, but Carl's not on the Today Show anymore, as we know. So and we've noticed that. Yeah, yeah I'm doing some filling in. I don't know what'll happen when uh, when George or Deb go away as to whether I'll get the call up or whether they'll they'll bring in one of the other female people at Channel Nine, considering it's now a. Uh, a dual female hosting team on the Today Show. But uh, when David Campbell takes a holiday on Today Extra, I tend to get a phone call there and I just say yes when I get a phone call. So when they need me, uh, I'm there and I also host Australian Ninja Warrior for them as well, which is back this year. Let's talk about money. On your uh, afternoon drive show, big deal in Sydney, goes to a lot of regional markets as well. Um, tell me the the ad, the way they generate revenue mm. – um, Produced ads, live reads. Um, do you do many live reads yourself? We do heaps of live reads. In fact, uh, Will, who sits with me here in the studio, lets me know when I arrive each day how many live reads we've got. And there was a day last week where he said, you've got seven. And I said, seven? What's going on? I texted sales to say, what's happening? How come we've only got seven live reads? I'm much more comfortable when we've got about 20 in oh, each show right. because that says to me that the money's coming through the door. Sometimes you just find these anomalies, so maybe the middle of the week where where people don't book as many ads because they, I don't know, some people believe that earlier in the week people are paying more attention, so they want their ads earlier in the week. And these guys might have a better idea about that than me. Or end of the week because people are gearing up for the weekend. Uh, so, for example, I know that Jerry Harvey and Harvey Norman, he wants an ad in my show on a Friday because he knows that people are going to be going out on Saturday to buy stuff at Harvey Norman. So, uh, look, the live reads are a big part of our show and we put a lot of effort into it and we put a lot of creativity into it as well to make sure that they are as good as they can be to try and capture people's attention. And, and look, if you're not getting people's attention, they're, they're not going to go booking more ads in the future. If they're not selling off the back of those ads. And the great thing about radio is they know whether or not they're working because I do the ad at 4.45pm and if the phone starts ringing at 4.46, then they know that I've done my job. If it's not ringing, then why would you invest again? Mm. Brian Gallagher, are live reads a thing on um, FM radio? And to, to what extent? They are. Um they're a major part of uh, the way we go to market. Um, some advertisers are more comfortable and require a live read um, uh, more often. Um, other advertisers, some of the big brand advertisers are, are fairly focused on their 30-second commercial module and, and, and making sure that that works so that they can run that you know, ubiquitously across all the stations. Um, but we work closely with a lot of advertisers on the live reads and we do it uh, not only in our Cap City uh, stations but right across our regional feeds as well so we would be literally running hundreds of live reads a day okay um philippa ad, what do you like recommending and is it very client to client i mean what tell us about the power of a live read versus a, a produced spot yeah it does i mean for me it comes down to the role of what you're trying to achieve with radio right so you've got your big brands who have well-established products and well-established messages and it's just about frequency of messages um, and then you've got other brands who have potentially credibility challenges or trust issues or want to align to local cultural cultures um, and that's where for us live reads are so much more powerful um you can also you know 
tell deeper stories when it comes to live reads or then, you know, next level would be partnerships and, you know, activations um, beyond just your kind of your spots and dots. So for me, it comes down to, um, you know, what are you trying to achieve um, and, and which kind of which kind of route to market has the most powerful what are, what are spots and dots I love I, I, I'm <laughs> we've big into, plenty of them mate I'm big into <laughs> industry jargon so can you just what are spots and dots because this is a new one spots <laughs> are ads what are the dots there's, there's, there's lots of dots so we it, it, lots of spots lots of dots uh, we have we have a system and it, it literally when we when we deal with uh, with Brian and his team we literally have a matrix of where all our spots run there's plenty of spots and there's plenty of dots in our in our system showing us where all of our uh, activities Activities running and and we uh, we refer to it quite um, quite uh, quite passionately about our spots and our dots when it comes to booking TV yeah, or when it comes dot to booking radio. We used to be we used to think of those as the uh, as the, the pieces the, the, the dot com pieces our oh, our, on, our, on, our online extensions and the things we do off air and the the, the the yeah the the spots are the thirty second bits in between the entertainment. There you go, spots and dots. Sorry, I've just learned <laughs> something new, James. Ben, just back on live ads. So you're ver- the that advertiser is buying you, aren't they, really? And you're you're endorsing their product. Are you always comfortable with that? Yeah, you, well, I think so. I mean, there, there are some there are some occasions. Oh, we get a, a form put in front of us where there's a proposal for an advertiser to advertise on our show, and we can either sign that form or not. And there are some things where I've Is looked at it... Is that before they sell the th- Yeah, that's, that's before... They that's, go out that, and offer your that's services. That's before okay. it's been confirmed that they're going to be appearing on my show. And there have been occasions where I've looked at something and thought, I don't understand that. You know, it's something to do with financial investments and I don't really get it. I don't, I don't follow it. And so I've either said to them, look, I'm, I'm going to need some further explanation about how this works. Or there are others too who might advertise, but you think, look, I just want to make sure that people, if it's health related, for example, James, sometimes I might kind of say, look, can we just make sure, I want to make sure here that that people need to seek a second opinion before going ahead with whatever this product is. So a lot of those times, those things are built into the advertising anyway because they have to through regulations. But yeah, I don't know. I suppose what, what we deliver with our ads is that strong association between the announcer and the advertiser. And then sometimes they take on a, a life of their own. I, I, can I play you a little example? Can I do this for a moment? Of course. I'll just give you an idea of where something happens. This just happened last week on our show where a lady called Kay called in. I don't know whether you guys know about the Blind Factory, but the Blind Factory, it's blinds and shutters and awnings, and they have this really annoying <laughs> voice for the Blind Factory. You know those annoying ads to get our attention? Well, they've got an annoying voice, and this caller called in called Kay who said, how come we don't hear that annoying voice anymore? So listen to this. Now, I've got a caller on the line who's got a major problem, and she's going to admit to this major problem now live on the air. Her name is Kay. He's very clever, that guy from Blind Factory ad. You like the Blind Factory guy? I love the Blind Factory ad. They're very clever and well thought out. This bloke? The Blind Factory. That guy? Yeah, I love him. I love him. I always listen to that ad. And if I needed blinds, I'd go to them. You're going to think that's a setup. She's a real human being. And Dead Set, we can't stand the Blind Factory voice because we hear it all the time. Can't stand it. Well, have a listen to this. This is what the Blind Factory then turned around in one of their ads one week later. Oh, the Blind Factory. There's a lady named Kay who adores me. She said so to Ben on GB. She spoke from the heart and she thinks that I'm smart. I'm astounded she thinks that of me. So be like a K. Call 13 blinds today. Though apparently K hasn't yet. But to help to remind, just call 13 blinds. Here's the jingle so you don't forget. The blind factory. Autumn sale on now too. 
do okay do so there you go i mean that's an example of something that <laughs> happened brilliant. that was content in the show and I only took the call because I thought this woman's mad because everyone hates that voice. Our listeners can't stand that voice and that's why it obviously cuts through. And then these guys are smart enough to go, hang on, let's turn that into a new ad. So I suppose that's where it works. Well, that leads me on to talk about Clive Palmer ads. Oh, now, no. So you mean <laughs> Bloody now, Clive. Well, that's right. Now, your colleague... Um, who precedes Ray you, Hadley yeah, in the mornings has been quite outspoken about Clive. Mm. You sort of grimace a little bit, I think, on air sometimes when you're playing him. Yeah, well, look, he doesn't advertise in my show oh, as he? much. He okay. does a lot in Alan and Ray because I think uh, because they're networked into Queensland, he's trying to get into that Queensland market as well. But that's another example of people being able to advertise and there being a gap between advertised content and real content. And, for example, Ray Hadley will go on his show and fact-check the fibs that are in the ad because there have been things in the ad that have not been entirely true. So Ray will then come out of the break and say, Did you, if you just heard that ad, let me just tell you what the real situation is with Clive and whatever that vote was in the Senate. So, you know, he can spend his millions of dollars with us and we're happy to pocket his money, but that doesn't mean that we're going to stay silent about what we know to be the truth about Clive Palmer. Philippa... When you book the spots and the dots, what some clients obviously think high repetition really works. Mm. Others think, you know, uh, we've got creative here. We, we don't want to overdo it. What, what, when they ask the agency for, for recommendations, what, what do you think about really just flogging a message a lot? Yeah, sure. It's a balancing act, that's for sure. Um, we've actually got some clients who, um, you know, we have identified that frequency is exactly what they need. Um, it's repetition of message, whether that be because the message is really complex and it just needs to be heard over and over again. Um, we certainly don't ever want to get to the state where we're that annoying ad. Um, and, you know, that's something that we need to watch out um, and are quite careful when we've got clients that are kind of saying we want these many spots and you're like, oh, we would pull that back a little bit and maybe, you know, stretch that out over more weeks, for example, rather than, you know, flogging it all in, in the one period of time. But, uh, it's um it's a balancing act between um you know reach and frequency for um, particular a lot of our clients who want a high level of spots we tend to have a um, a broader media mix for them so um you know we might encompass both AM and FM we might inc- incorporate you know three of the FMs rather than just the one um, and multiple stations within each of those FMs as a way to kind of keep that balance. Do they get a better reaction from the AM radio? Come on, Philip. <laughs> Come on. We'll I've we'll got forget, to be careful what I say here. CA is one of our clients. Yeah, I'm trying to play nicely. <laughs> Do they get a better bang for their buck out of the AM? It comes. You know what? It comes down to targeting, right? So it's there. There is a very, very good place for um, you know for 2GB on a lot of our recommendations. And I was talking to one of our clients about it this morning, and um, you know we've made a annual commitment to um, 2GDB and um, Macquarie's assets um, but we've also made the same commitment to SCA and there's a really oh, different boy, role for them good. to be played uh, and I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic and I'm glad that I'm doing so but it that's is two, it That's two hand grenades that he's yeah. thrown in so <laughs> is there a limit? I'll try and put out a fire a little bit. Do you, all, do you also spend with uh, ARN and Nova as well? We certainly do. They're all our friends. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, we do. Uh, Brian, is there much political advertising about at the moment? We've got the state election, as we record this, just over a week away in New South Wales. Um, you've got net brands that go right across Australia. So, A, talk about the level, and B, can they target sort of marginal seats using assets you've got or, or some of your colleagues in the business? Yeah, they're, they're obviously uh, focus on New South Wales at the minute, and I, I think we're about to uh, see a real push on a national front uh, from the parties and, and so forth. So I think it's about to get pretty hairy in that regard. And I think one of the big advantages we've got 
um, and it's it's a radio advantage in that we're very connected to our communities. Uh, and I think the number one thing about radio is that level of uh, trust that exists. Uh, in each of the communities we're in, we, we, we've got about 85 radio stations across 105 different markets. And so for us to be able to then work with a party to isolate seats is pretty easy. easy. Um, but for us to be able to, you know, for the parties to be able to isolate the issues that are real in those markets is also a, a pretty simple practice as well. So there's a really nice synergy there in uh, political campaigning and radio as a method of accessing with trust um, specific target audiences geographically. Ben, at election time, the, we've heard about the power of radio with advertising. The the, the content that you deliver, mm-hmm. how how much can that change? You think your listeners' attitudes? Look, I don't know that it, it changes all that dramatically. I think because there's so much of it. I tend to pull back a little bit. Obviously, in the the week leading up to the election, the day before the election, the day after the election, you're going to have blanket coverage of it. Just like, for example, when recently we had a big court case involving George Pell, you're going to see blanket coverage of that one issue for 48 hours, the 24 hours before, the 24 hours afterwards. But I think you've got to be careful not to go over the top with the whole thing because... I think, by and large, people are not as obsessed with politics as people in the media are. And if you want to test that theory, you've only got to go and stand at a pub anywhere and work out are they talking about the start of the footy season or are they talking about whatever's happening in politics. There are some stories that really cut through in politics. But I think, by and large, you've got to be careful about getting that balance right because people, they don't want that stuff shoved down their throat. And I think that I think sometimes people take the approach of you can talk about politics without talking to the politicians. And I think that's a really good approach. I think you're better off when you're talking about politics not talking to politicians. Now, I interview politicians a lot, whether it's the Prime Minister or the Premier or the opposition leaders, but equally every Monday on my show I have a segment where I talk to the likes of Andrew Bolt, Peter Credlin, Graham Richardson, people like this who are, they've been in the game, some of them, most of them, but they're removed from the game now. So they've got that freedom to speak. When you're talking to someone who's in politics, they are so risk adverse that they're not going to say anything. And also the general public gets annoyed with politicians who don't answer questions. So when they're dodging questions the whole time, that can be frustrating for your audience. So you've got to make sure you hold them to account and get them to answer the question that they're being asked. You just mentioned uh, Andrew Bolt there. The, um, mm. He's split, I think, with a, some in the Macquarie shows. Is he still doing your No, well, look, he's another one, I think, who's uh, who's in negotiations in, in some degree with, with the bosses here, and, and I can only hope that he remains in, in some way, shape or form with the business because he's a huge talent, and he does his show on Sky News as well and his columns with News Corp. So he's another one who's in discussions at the moment, as they say, James. <laughs> OK. But you're OK, aren't you? There's, you're well, you're I'm, not going I'm, anywhere. Yeah, I'm like... I'm Locked in for another four years or something oh, like that. Okay. So, All right. so, so I won't have to worry about it for a while, unless I unless I stuff up big time and then they just <laughs> kick you out anyway. But anyway, I'm here for the moment. Good stuff. One day at a time. Yes. Okay. Philippa, um, using advertising during an election time for non political brands. I mean, is there a... There's, you often hear, look, uh, 
it's it's busy. There's a lot of noise going on. We might hold back around the the time of an election. What what's your recommendation to clients? Yeah, who, sure. I mean, come deal with that. There, there's no hard and fast rule, and I, and I laugh because we're having a bit of a chit chat about this before um, before the podcast kicked off. Completely um, off the record, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, but uh, generally, what happens at an election time, the same thing happens at big telecast for sport. So you get the same kind of sentiment when it comes to Olympics, for example. You tend to get a lot of clutter um, around that event, um, particularly from sponsors who come on board, and it becomes quite noisy traditionally. Um, so what you tend to find is a lot of advertisers, where they've got the space to do so, they either kind of go live earlier or they go live afterwards and kind of avoid that space just to make sure they can still cut through. Um, you know, there's other advertisers who have a always-on approach, and for them it doesn't change anything. They're 52 weeks a year, they'll advertise, and that doesn't change when there's an election, whether it's an Olympics, whether there's something else that comes up. Um, you know, we're in a quite a unique situation at the moment where um, we're potentially not seeing the same level um, of noise yet. Uh, we're in a very late market, so that's you know potentially still very much to come. Um, but it's a it's a wait and see. So it's in, I suppose in answer to your question, it differs by client depending on what they're trying to achieve and um, you know from a content perspective whether they're trying to avoid conversations around politics, whether they're kind of wanting to align to it. Um, it yeah, it comes down to a client by client basis. Brian and and Ben might have a thought on this, but we only ever get the sort of average audiences for radio. But do you get, can you segment out in your data when, a, say, an election time or a big football grand final, the, the, do the audiences bump up um, during that time that we mightn't see in those sort of six to eight week averages? Look, I, I don't think there's a massive shift in consumer behaviour around the way they choose to listen to their chosen um, favourite radio stations. Um, I think there's obviously a lot more awareness. I think there's, you know, you know, engagement within the stories. So it's a bit more lean in in relation to, um, you know, they're, 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 they're really, they want, I think they do want to hear what uh, the parties have to say. So um, I don't think there's a real shift in, um, in, in listener levels and we've never pick that up and every day on our dashboards we're seeing all of the digital channel delivery that we have so our, our apps um, that we've got co-listening um, that's real-time data um, the shape of day on the on the on the data from those apps uh, doesn't indicate that there's anything you know crazy happening from any one week to the next yeah, there's probably just a bit of a reluctance on the part of some brands to be to be buying because the the consumers have got a little bit of a, a reluctance to lock into major investments at a time like that. Like if you think about it from a real estate point of view, for example, and if you've got a federal election and if there's one party that's proposing a major change to to investment or negative gearing or whatever and people are thinking, okay, I don't know what what the situation is going to be after this election, then then you might find some consumers who are less likely to be to be putting their money on the table and therefore the, the brands might be thinking, well, while they're not sure, we might just hold back as well. But you also surely see an uptick as well in all of the other lobby groups that come forward with their money as well at election time, whether mm -hmm. it's the, the banking lobby or the, the mining lobby or whoever it might be out there in trying to get all the unions. I mean, the unions spend a truckload of money as well, get up as well. If you think about advertising, I don't know how much they do on, on radio stations. They don't do a hell of a lot on ours, get up. But there are a lot of those other interest groups and lobby groups and unions that, that spend up big in, in, in advance of an election campaign because they've got 
an investment in the outcome. They want to make sure that their team's going to be victorious on the day. You're 100% right, Ben. It's a, it comes down to category. So we've, you know, we've got clients, for example, home insurance or car manufacturers who will pull back mm. when there's a big decision around investment that's coming. But something like a QSR, so like a Hungry Jacks, they're still going to yep. sell burgers regardless of what's happening. So it comes down to... The burgers we- are better at Hungry Jacks. <laughs> they certainly <laughs> are. They certainly that. are. But I've always there you said go. That. Live read number one. We've been. We've just done. We've just done twelve years of tracking of um, GDP, CPI, retail sales, advertising, and looking for those patterns around the ad spend um, that might uh, indicate that you could you could expect an uptick or a downturn in, in advertising spend. And uh, elections have absolutely zero impact on that retail line. Um, they might have an impact on a big ticket item in a particularly stressed, I guess, uh, political environment like the one we've got now. But uh, for for most of the products that uh, we're selling on radio, Mm. um, there's no reason to sort of hold back. And in fact, this is a classic time for us uh, to go out to the challenger brands and say, you know what, this is a really good time to pick up market share Mm. because a couple of the bigger brands maybe not, and they're not there. Mm. So have a crack crack now, step in now. Philippa, brands used to be didn't really take a political stance. We're seeing a little bit more getting involved in sort of commentary on things. You think that Gillette, uh, their, their recent ad and the sort of controversy that surrounded that, uh, commentary on sort of domestic violence, I guess. Meat and Livestock um, talked about the um, moving the date of Australia Day. Um, Nike uh, and recent Super Bowl ad. W- why are we seeing things like that? I mean, is it just about generating noise around the brand? Uh, I, uh, to be honest, I think it's the way that the market's changed in terms of what brands needs to do to actually create cut through and, and build a relationship with their consumers. So in the past, you know, advertising was a, you know, a one-way conversation. It was an ad, it was a 30-second ad on TV or it was a, you know, it was a spot on radio or it was a, you know, a, an outdoor panel and it was this one-way brand message. Now what we're trying to see is that, we're, you know, we're encouraging our brands to have conversations with their consumers, two-way conversations. So that by nature, what they're looking for is they're looking for relevant topics to have conversations with their consumers on. You know, how can how can they start conversations about moments that matter for their consumers, and and that in itself encourages conversation on politics, on on you know on sport, on on health, on lifestyle, on any kind of topic, and it's 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 vast. But for me, it's it's that it's you know what it now takes for brands to. There's some scary through. stuff there because if you take say um, Copernic and Nike as one example at the very very positive end of the spectrum, and then you've got another brand, a major global brand in Gillette that's trying to have a crack at a similar sort of strategy of, I guess, and, and uh, virtue signalling is probably a little bit too harsh uh, or negative in, in, in the sense of what they were trying to do, but they mess that up so bad. And, and it's a dangerous... Two-way conversations with consumers, it's a dangerous space, mm, it's you know? It's, it's, it's tricky. It's hard enough to take 30 seconds and put a brand proposition in there that's going to cut through and work, mm. let alone deciding that as a brand you're going to take a position inside the social fabric of your consumer base. I, I it, it, You know, it's been driven by social media mm. um, and this sort of potential of two-way conversation, but so far I reckon it's a 98% fail um, to, to, to shift from, you know, yeah, from your brand proposition mm. to a social proposition is really, really dangerous ground. Mm. If anything, you can kind of get involved in the space, can't you, in a, in a fun sense. So, I mean, around election time, you see some brands who, who come out with their own election-themed ads, but it's not like they're, they're putting their eggs in any basket. They're just, they're just capturing 
the fact that everyone's election focused at the moment and whether we're selling burgers or whether we're selling shoes or anything else, if you can try yeah. and make that amusing Vote one for extra way. cheese. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, you see plenty of them do that and, and that well, seems to be fun. part of the theme. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good and, fun and creative. There's, there's obviously certain topics that are a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more risky to jump on the back, back, back on. You know, so politics is obviously a, a lot more dangerous than, you know, a sporting game, potentially. There's obviously passionate mm. sporting kind of sporting people out there, sporting fans out there, but, uh, you know, there's a lot more risk of... Um, um, backfiring, I suppose, if you jump on board with something that is quite sensitive as a topic mm. versus something that's a little bit more lighthearted and softer entertainment. Regarding content for you, Ben, the riskier the better, I guess, because it generates talkback calls, right? Oh, people yes want to talk about yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yes or? and no. I mean, it, I think it'd be different. If You wouldn't want to kind of be walking the tightrope for three hours every day, but equally you don't shy away from things that are that are going to be confronting for people. And you do have those issues that, that really split people straight down the middle. And I and I do. I, I make no apologies for the fact that I, I look for those issues all of the time because when something's black and white, um, it, it doesn't always open up people for a, an interesting conversation. If you think about things around a, a dinner party conversation and if it's something that's just a, a slam dunk and everyone has the same view on it, then that's interesting for a, a couple of minutes. But... If there's a lot of grey area in the middle and you can see different points of view, when we're having a conference call in the morning with my team, when we realise that grey area on an issue and I'm saying, yeah, but what about this? And, they, and someone else says, oh, but hang on a moment, from this point of view. And then if we're having an argument about it, we kind of think, all right, well, maybe this is something that we should throw up for discussion this afternoon. Mm. Yeah, radio was the original social media in that respect because, you know, it was the original way of being able to, you know, tap into community thinking. Mm. Yeah, I know sometimes people bag social media saying it's like, you know, graffiti on a toilet wall because anyone can say anything. Well, you're right. That's talkback radio as well. The whole idea is anyone can call mm. in and, and have their say. But you've got a dump button. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We do have a dump button and you don't necessarily have that. Well, well, Facebook does, I suppose, these days. If enough people complain about a post, then they can just erase it. Yeah. Dump button. Have you got one where you sit, Ben, or is it your panel? No, Will, it, Will, who's sitting across from me here, <laughs> Will controls the dump button. Oh, have I got one okay. here, have I? Oh, hang on a moment. Well, watch out. I do have might one might be here. dangerous no, showing you. Don't hit it now, you. Will. <laughs> don't hit it now. No, I do have one here. It just goes to show you, Will is just finally showing me where the dump button is. I, okay. I had an incident where uh, Kyle Sandilands dropped into our studio here. He, he, he was filming something next door. Trial by Kyle. There's a free plug for you, Kyle, because I know you're always listening to Media Week. But anyway, he was in doing something next door and he had a charity thing to plug. So he said, can I come in and plug it? And I said, sure. And while he was in here, the interview was wrapping up and a sponsor had sent in a, a meat pie. And, uh, and I said to him, you should try this pie. Do you want to try this pie before you go? And he said, oh, right. But we'd, we'd heated up in the microwave, so it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't in its best form. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, he tried it. He said, it tastes really good. He goes, but, but you've microwaved it. He goes, and then he said, oh, have you got it there, Will? Have you got what he said? I thought you were about to hit it. Are you about to dump me? <laughs> you see how all of a sudden he was reaching for the button? But look, he said, look, I'll, I'll, he said, look it, it tastes good. But it, it's as soft as an old man's penis. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to you people laughing. My <laughs> boss, Adam Lang, wasn't laughing when he sent me an email the next day. He said, look, I've got a report here that Kyle Sandlin said described a meat pie as being as soft as an old man's penis. Yeah, this is the beauty of podcasting. There goes, there, there goes the commercial contract. And he said, why? No, actually, now that I think about it, it actually wasn't one of our advertisers. It was just someone who was w wanting us to talk about their, their meat pie. But anyway, I didn't hit the dump button but on that occasion, but okay. at least now Will has shown me you know where, where it is, is, so I know where to hit it. <laughs> Look, I wanted to talk...
talk a little bit about disruption. It's a topic that's been around a while, and I don't want to tread over the same old ground, but things are continually changing in the space. Let's start with Brian. I mean, you've got a, a big network of two FM brands. You've got the Hit Network. You've got Triple M. Um, at ARN, they've got uh, Kiss. They've got Gold. Um, Nova's got Smooth. They've got uh, the Nova brand. Why aren't more of those people, you know, setting up their own playlists with Spotify, Apple Music? Why aren't they entertaining themselves more with podcasts? Why are they staying with commercial radio? Well, if, if there was a revenue model in the playlist game, <laughs> uh, we'd be in it. So, you know, if, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but, uh, look... We're disrupting ourselves in our own way and in a measured way, and I think radio is uh, proving to be commercially extremely resilient because, you know, as you mentioned before, the audience levels on our platform have grown quite exponentially over the last uh, decade. And when I say our platform, I'm talking about FM broadcasting, AM broadcasting, DAB broadcasting, app delivery, online delivery, and we've got services arrayed across all of those platforms as different radio and I would say now audio companies that are that are they're reaching out to audiences in many many different ways and in in you know you've got probably go back 25 years and you had measured for example total audio listening 25 years ago you got people at home doing the vinyl you got people with the Walkman you got people with the CD player you know you've got people in the radio at home and in the car there's not a great deal of difference between the amount of radio listening as such now uh, than there was back then. It's just that things like Spotify and Pandora have replaced the Walkman. Mm. So, you know, and owned music is falling as a category. And what you're seeing in studies like the infinite dial are that, you know, we no longer feel the need to own a wall full of vinyl or CDs. Mm. Um, although there is some appeal about vinyl um, for some kind of weird reason. Showing I can't your age there, Brian. No, 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 no. There's a 21-year-old bloke, <laughs> Jake yeah, it's Lyle. Cool it's kids. the kids. 21-year-old who works on my show, Jake, mm. who had his 21st birthday last weekend and he got a record player. So, oh, wow. you yeah. know there you I mean? go. So, so I think, you know, it, it's it's 25 years down the track what you've got is 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 owned owned music falling. You've got listening to uh, uh, you know curated music from somebody else uh, like a radio station and then you've got this personal choice I'm, I want to listen to these tracks and I'm going to get that from a different source than I than I would have 25 years ago which is basically Spotify and Pandora. Um, people still want curated audio content and there's a real clearly in the increase in the audiences there's a massive demand for that and as we start to like in our own brands we've got triple m and hit and underneath those there are other um sub brands that are basically the same style but different playlists if you like um you know modern rock classic rock country and it's all under for example the triple m brand uh so people kind of know what they're going to get uh but they have a choice in the music mix that that they can do. And so ARN has similar uh, with um, its uh, deal with iHeart on their DAB spectrum and, and so does so does Nova. Uh, so there's there's a, a whole different array of radio and it's, what it's helped us do is keep the audience, audience interested. And the next phase of all of that is how we monetize and target those audiences. And the industry uh, is together on the, idea, uh, on the idea of automation and making it easier for uh, advertisers to get on board. Mm. Um, we've made a few solid steps in that regard. The MFA is very involved with the Commercial Radio Association uh, in that project around automation. The first iteration of that was Holdings, which, you know, we were probably a bit late to the party there, but we will be 
you know, way quicker to the party uh, in allowing um, buyers to access all radio what in a, a much more streamlined <laughs> I was waiting for that. Um, what a holding. <laughs> I, I'm the person at home listening to the podcast asking the, the questions. That they, what, what a holding. Well, he's got a very finite audience of media and advertising people, so <laughs> no, it, it shouldn't be. T- uh, but that, I'm glad you asked that question. Do, do holdings fall under spots or dots? Yes, they do. They help us manage the spots and dots. So they, rather they than record the buy. It's, it's, a, oh, it's an invoice. See, confirmation, invoice. we used okay, to call them. Right yeah, confirmation. So, so surely on Spotify... Which used to be on so paper. Spotify would have been a greater greater threat to the CD business than the radio business, surely. Because, Correct. Because everyone's always been able to listen to music without the ads and listen to music without the announcers. But if you want that that live feel of an announcer and feeling like there's a human being there involved, you still listen to the radio, right? Correct. And people want, I mean, even it comes down to some fairly simple needs, you know, um, news, sport and weather Mm. (laughs) for your region on that day, uh, wherever you are, um, for that feeling of connectedness to the community that you're in, you know, um, what's happening. I mean, the interesting thing for us um, around advertising and audio was that 18 months ago, we put into our DAB stations our FM commercial feed. So we went from no ads mm. to ads. <laughs> and our audiences went up. Wow. So We love the sound of that. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's probably something we should say more often in more places. Just don't tell it to agencies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't see the downside. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 was, it was crazy for us to... to we, we thought that might have been a risk, especially on stations like Buddha, there for the relaxation. Mm. And you get Blind Factory out on the Buddha station, oh, yeah, you yeah, see yeah, how yeah. That, that's called cut through. People mm. jump out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, just, just here chatting and, and listening to what everybody's saying, radio's done a pretty good job at making their brand stay cool, if you like, mm. um, and relevant to audiences. Um, 2GB, I think we can call 2GB cool, can we? It's, I mean, for, for its audience, it is. Right, for, I, for, I can't comment on that. For, for, possibly. for its target, <laughs> can't possibly comment um, on that. And they've done a good job of keeping big stars. Mm. Right, we've got two GBs, youngest big star here, Ben Fordham. But you look at the big stars. I think the highest paid entertainers in Australia are still on radio. Mm. You know, they've done a good job of of retaining, developing, and keeping that star power. Whereas there's a bit more churn in um, in radio. And as I'm chatting, I'm I'm realising why Ben's staying in radio because there's some big money there. You know, but is that right? Is it has radio done a good job of maintaining that that attraction for brands? And yeah, I mean, the attraction for radio has always been, I think, to build on Brian's point and to your point, James, it's relevance and it's lo- like it's hyper local. You know, so there is so much choice when it comes to um, radio, so you can, you know, you can reach the people that are sitting in the outback with their feet up on the, you know, on the barrel, kind of, you know, about the, you know, the latest weather. Don't that's be too there. disparaging. No, absolutely, <laughs> but you, you know, but you, you can, you can be very, very hyper local. So you talk about the government category before government as a category over indexes in radio significantly. It's because they've got so many messages to tell, and they've got so many places to spread those messages. You simply can't do that with other mediums in a lot of instances, and radio has always been incredibly good at that and has maintained that relevance because there is so much choice and there's more choice than ever before. So, you know, not only do you have the plethora of, you know, stations that you kind of listed off before from an AM and an FM perspective, but now you've also got podcasts that, are you know, that you can really align to from a contextual point of view um, when brands are looking to align to a certain topic or a behaviour or a group of people. Mm. Um, so you can go incredibly niche, but you can also leverage the scale of audiences that radio, is, radio still delivers. Um, We've got a very important role beyond that, um, you know, our 
primary role is to entertain and inform, but um, there's actually a duality to that, which is that uh, radio fills an enormous uh, role in keeping, you know, the wheels of the economy moving. Um, you know, there's... Uh, 130,000 SMEs out there. Is it more than that? More than that. But they employ about 7 million people. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's the engine room of the economy is SMEs. Now, those SMEs that run business, really solid businesses, not all of them can afford to go and spend uh, $1.5 million on a TV campaign and compete in that space. And radio really fills that role for them. And, you know, we, in any given year, would be working with 13,000-plus advertisers who don't work through agencies, who are small advertisers who need to sell their products. And if you don't have that kind of... Uh, that till ringing, which I think is that comment that you made, you know, you do these things, you do those live reads, you run those campaigns, these local operators know that the audience comes in and buys. Um, and that's that's the other side of our role of entertaining and informing is actually just keeping that economy rolling along. So you're doing a community service, that's what you're saying, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well look, in, in line with that, I'd just like to say a big thank you to the, the following companies who book live reads on my show today because <laughs> Will's just handed me the pile. We've got 14 of them. Tender Gourmet Butchery, Flying Fish, Harvey Norman, The Fiddler. Hang on, can you slow down? I can't write these down. Jacaranda <laughs> Financial Planning, Turner Freeman Lawyers, Leisure Pools, 2GB for me, that's an internal one. Molly's Cradle Wine, how good's Molly's Cradle? Hobby Co. They've got March Madness going on at the moment at Hobby Co. We've also got NRL footy tipping at rugbyleaguelive.com.au, agecare101.com.au. You'll need that in a few years from now, James. Uh, Club Grants from Clubs New South Wales, West End Mazda. God love you all you Look people. Look at that for a little bit of value add for all of those brands. An extra little uh, mention in a podcast. Well, hang on a moment. We, meant, we mentioned Hungry Jacks before. They're not advertising. Hungry Jacks. Look, I'm doing my client a service. <laughs> We're nearly out of time here, Philippa. We've all been sort of, you know, bowing to radio saying how good it is. Is there things they could be doing better? And, look, and what are the threats, do you think, to, to the dollars you spend with uh, Look, I think the threats are that other traditional mediums are playing catch-up in terms of, um, you know, becoming a lot more relevant. So the big news last year was around the launch of addressable TV in this market, which is an incredibly exciting opportunity for TV as a platform, and I think it will open new doors for them. Think TV as an industry body has done wonders around bringing each of the networks um, on the free-to-air platform together um, and on the subscription platform as well just to make sure they're working together um, to create the best platform for advertisers and consumers. Um, I think, you know, I think where CRA um, can help um, ensure that we keep the same relevance and the momentum going for radio because, you know, radio is expected to grow this year and, and, you know, we hope that it's just as a strong year this year as it was last year. Um, But I think, you know, when others are playing catch-up in terms of their targeting capabilities, we've got to make sure that radio continue to adapt their traditional models. Yeah, we're very, very cognizant of that and that's why um, something that we haven't announced until this very second um, <laughs> is that uh, we're, we're about to make a major play and are ready to launch uh, an in-stream advertising product so that we are, you know, fueled by our DMP, are able to offer up uh, that addressable radio audience um, and that's launching now. And uh, in order to provide some scale around that, uh, we've partnered exclusively in this market with SoundCloud um, to take on board their inventory, which is fully addressable, programmatically delivered, and that is going to allow us to really create a market to compete, I guess, with Spotify, if you like, and, and their, their ad product at scale. Mm. 
I think from our point of view, as far as what we can do better, is we've, we're probably... AM radio, I think, probably operates more in silos as far as programs, where when I listen to FM radio... I hear, you know, they're really good at, at making sure that everyone's focused on what their breakfast show is and what's coming up and what other programs are doing. And that, that's something I think that AM radio probably needs to learn from. And we're, we're actually focused on that a lot more here at the moment at 2GB, just that idea of increasing time spent listening, uh, putting more investment into some of those competitions. I mentioned before 2GB for me, which is about, you know, we've got thousands of dollars up for grabs, but you've got to be listening. You know, that's probably more of an FM thing that FM has done well. Uh, you know, those cue to call things that we haven't done a hell of a lot of that and we're doing more of it now. And I think we've also realised that while we're focused on our own shows, the more that we can help other programs on our own station and the more they can help us, uh, the more we all benefit. So that's probably our way forward here at 2GB. And in fact, the management have got us all together recently for what they call town hall meetings, okay. where they get everyone in the one room together and throw a lot of these things up about this is what we're doing, this is what we stand for, this is the way forward, as a way of encouraging people to, to speak up and to also say, look, don't just see your job as being working for Ben between three and six. It goes beyond that. And equally, Ben, as a host, you've got to make sure what can you do to be helping the other programs here on the radio station. So that's probably somewhere where we can improve, but hopefully we're already doing something about that. Something that probably wouldn't happen in the old days of talk radio where the, the you know, the identities were all very individual. Oh, big they? time. And had their own empires. And yeah, and, there's, 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 and, that, and that comes from, from wanting to be the best mm. and get the best guests. And, you know, you are focused on your own, your own patch because that's the one you're responsible for. Yeah, now you've been doing a bill-paying... Um, yeah, we've done that you. as well. Yeah, so it's yeah. still running? So I've, Bust your I've got my credit card bill here. How was, much is it? Was, going, was there a limit? How much I've is it? I've got about 1700 No, 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 it's too much too for much. me. Too oh, much for me. Could you, can you halve it? No, no, well, look, the Bill Buster promotion's over, but right. next week is 2GB for me. Okay, look, we'll wind it up there. Um, look, Ben, great to um, great to hear from you. Mate, thank you. If Thanks anyone wants to advertise on my show, call Ruth Macklin, <laughs> 8570 Brian Gallagher, uh, Southern Cross Osteria, thank, thank you. you. Uh, absolute pleasure. Always good to hear from you. And Philip, a look from uh, Wavemaker, great to get your insights into the um, radio business. Many thanks. Thanks for having me along. This has been a we Media Week podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks, James.